Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Hello and welcome to the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot, your host here. And man, I'm having so much fun with this podcast. I hope that you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. If you like this podcast, make sure to go into the section and give it a rating. Leave a comment if you want to. That really, really does help. Tell all your friends about it, your waterfowl hunting friends, because we're, man, we just are getting this thing kicked off. And I'm going to keep rolling out a episode every week in time. I might be able to do a little bit more than that, but right now we're doing about an episode a week. If you want more North American Waterfowler podcast content, the place to get that is patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. I've had some people signing up over there to join the, the crew we already have going on. And this week I'm going to announce which of the Patreon members are going to actually come on and record a segment with me here. We're going to do that once a month where I draw one patron to come and join me for a short 10, 15, 20 minute segment that will air publicly um, on that episode. And there's a lot of episodes over there that are only on Patreon. And then there's also some just extended versions like I did with Jake, where we talked about Kansas versus Arkansas, waterfowl hunting, and so on and so forth. So go check it out, patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. I've got a huge announcement. This is the only, the first time that I've talked about this publicly. Not a lot of my friends don't even know about it. So I'm coming to you guys first. I am starting in March. We are kicking off a second podcast called the Flatlander Kennels Podcast with Chris Jotman. Flatlander Kennels is where I got Georgie. 
who is a beast of a little dog. And Chris Jobman is the owner operator. I've been thinking about this idea for a while. So if you're a dog guy and you love training dogs, whether you're in the hunt test game with the HRC, AKC, or you're just a dedicated dog guy in the field hunting, the Flatlander Kennel podcast is going to be for you. It's going to be about, we're just going to have this huge focus on retrievers and training. Let me tell you, Chris Jobman is one of the premier trainers in North America. Absolutely no doubt. Um, I started going to these HRC hunt tests. And the reason I started doing this is because I wanted to challenge myself. I got this high-powered dog like I've never had before, Georgie. And I wanted to prove to myself, and I wanted to prove to Chris, because he and I had a partnership in this deal, that um, I didn't want to let him down. I wanted to prove to him and to myself that I could take this little dog, who is from one of the best litters ever to be born, <laughs> I mean, her dad is an absolute all-star who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Her, she, She's turning four. She has siblings who have already uh, passed the grant. I mean, this litter is insanely good. And I wanted to prove to myself and I wanted to prove to Chris that I could make the kennel look good with my training skills. That I, I was competent enough to get this dog to pass some of these tests. So you've got a started test. This is HRC. You've got started, you've got season, you've got finished, finishes the top level. And from there, then you can go into the grand and become a grand um, champion. And right now, Georgie's past seasoned. So she is HR Georgie, hunting retriever Georgie. And I'm going to move her up into finish this summer. And if she passes all of those, I'm not going to go into the details of what you all have to do to pass. That's, that's for that Flatlander Channel podcast with Chris. But if she passes that, she will be a hunting retriever champion, Georgie. So that that's a goal. And I'll tell you, I, I am way more of a actual hunt guy than I'm a hunt test guy. No doubt about it. But this hunt test stuff is fun. It's really, really fun. And so whether you are a dog guy in the field or you do the hunt test stuff, let me tell you, be ready. The Flatlander Kennel Podcast with Chris Jobin is coming out. We have recorded our first two episodes. Uh, which we're going to do, uh, it's going to be bi-monthly. So this podcast, North American Waterfowler podcast, is every week, four times a month. And the Flatlander Kennel podcast is going to be twice a month. Um, Chris's schedule is crazy busy, and I, mine is too. I mean, I'm adding on all this, these extra projects onto what I normally do. So it's going to start in March. And there's going to be a Facebook page involved with a Facebook group. So if you're a dog guy, be ready. So a lot of my time this last week, has been recording that podcast, editing that podcast, and also coming up with the intro. I love working on little projects um, that involve editing. And so I I don't know how much time I put in to um, making the intro for the Flatlander Kennel podcast, but I, I've, I've already posted it over at Patreon. Those guys over there have heard it. I want to play it for you because I worked hard on it and I love sharing it. So this I will move on from the subject and talk about our main topic today, which is going to be layout boat hunting. But let me just play it for you here. So here it is, the intro I came up with for the Flatlander Kennel podcast with Chris Jobman. Here we go. I've been in dogs since 1991. I want a thinking dog. I was up here in Western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't sugarcoat anything. 
And if you don't like it, tough. So there it is. You're the first ones to hear it other than my patrons over there. So I'm just so excited. I'm so excited about teaming up with Chris and getting that podcast off the ground. So let's go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, we are going to dive into all things layout boat hunting. I've been layout boat hunting now for, shoot, I don't know, 15 years. Um, and so I, I've got, I had a comment asking me about this information. I thought, let's just make it into a full episode. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we go. So, layout boat hunting. Um, This is actually, I do this segment, I just started, where we do comment of the week, where I look through all my social media, whether it's my YouTube channel, Freelance Duck Hunting, whether it's people contacting me on Instagram, Facebook, and I want to do a comment of the week, something that I just find interesting, something I want to talk about. So, here we go with this week's comment of the week. So this comment comes from Wyatt. This is off of Instagram. He messaged me and he said, Hey Elliot, curious if you have any important tips for hunting with a layout boat with a blind on it. And when I get comments, I mean, oh my gosh, to be able to answer something like that, just an open-ended question, do I have tips for layout boat hunting? I mean, to type that all out with my pathetic thumbs on Instagram is a, ch- a chore, a task, more more than I want to try to do. So when I get, it's if you guys are going to contact me and ask questions, it's really helpful to ask something more specific that I don't, because I mean, shoot, I could write down a five-page essay on this. I mean, it, it's it, there's so much to talk about when it comes to layout boats, layout hunting, so it's very, very difficult to answer that, but I thought it would just be, it'd be cool. I'm kind of sandwiched in between here. I had Jake on last week. I've got, um, shoot, who's coming on next week? Oh, Titus is going to be next week from Mid-Maliversaries. After that, I've got a really special podcast that I'm really excited about with Tim Cochran and um, his buddy, Robert Mann. And so I thought this would just be a great one where it's just not a guess. It's just me talking. So let's go ahead and get on. First, I want to start with my personal history with layout boats. Um, As we started our hunting, my dad and I, it was just the two of us from 1991 until about, shoot, 2015. 
it was just he and I, just the two of us. And then we started getting more of a little bit of a crew together, but it was just the two of us. And when we started, we were just, we had a big canoe, a cargo canoe that we used to transport stuff. And sometimes we tried to build blinds, but we didn't have any little boats. And my dad run in, ran into a really interesting guy who I think, if I'm not mistaken, lived up in Minnesota. And this guy was the sensei of waterfowl hunting as far as we're concerned, because the knowledge this guy had was just insane. And my dad ran into him under marsh. They got to talking and they ended up hunting together for a full week. And this guy taught my dad basically how to lay out boat hunt. And they, they were using Karsten's Puddlers, which is an eight foot tiny little layout boat. And they were using grass mats to, um, hide, hide themselves. And they shot like five, six, seven days in a row of mallard limits. It got, it was so good for them that as the we as the days went on, I mean, the day one, day two, they were just shooting whatever they could as far as mallard drakes. And then like day three, it's like, all right, we're not going to pull the trigger on anything unless it's feet down. Still shot their limit. Next day, okay, now we're only going to shoot groups. We're only going to shoot groups of mallards with their feet down. I mean, the hunting was so good. And this guy got my dad hooked on layout butt hunting. And my dad stayed in contact with this guy for quite a while. And this guy, he just traveled down to Minnesota. He followed the migration. He, all hunting season, he followed the migration. He was just all over from Minnesota to the Dakotas to Nebraska to Oklahoma to Kansas, Missouri. He, he was just all over uh, and he taught my dad how to lay about hunt. So, so shortly after that, my dad got us two Karsten's puddlers. It's a tiny little layout boat. Um, and from there, I soon realized that it was just too small, especially trying to hunt a dog out of it. I was trying to hunt my dog in between my legs, which was a terrible, terrible idea because you're trying to shoot over a dog. It's hard on their hearing. It was just, uh, I don't, it was something that I look back on and really cringe about. Because you cannot be shooting over a dog's head like that. I just think, I can't even believe I'm admitting it because it's embarrassing, it's foolish. I was an idiot to do that. So soon, soon thereafter, my dad got a Karsten's Pintail, which is a 12-foot boat, much, much bigger. I didn't have the money for one of those, so I found a 12-foot, really cheap little light layout boat that I called Old Green. And I actually have had one guy contact me and said that he has that boat as well. I don't know the maker, but it was light, it was bigger. I loved that boat. But it was very used and had holes. I can't tell you the amount of time that we spent or the number of number of times we spent um, fiberglassing that with fiberglass kits just to just to patch it and patch it. And so finally, um, the Carson's pintail that my dad was using just became too heavy for him. That was about a hundred and fifty pound boat. Let me tell you, when they when they tell you the pounds on these boats, add twenty or thirty pounds, promise you. Except for there's one that I feel like is marked properly, and that's the Old Town Solo Sportsman. But all these boats, you get these big boats and like 80 pounds, and you try to drag it, you're like, hell if that's 80 pounds. That's not 80 pounds, man. That's I don't know where they're getting these ratings, but that's not 80 pounds. Um, so anyway, from that point, I needed a new one because Old Green was just full of holes, and my dad's was too heavy anymore. So we, Corn was like, why don't you guys get kayaks? And I thought it was a horribly stupid idea. Um, quite honestly, cause I just had a false idea of what kayaks were and what was available. And so we did a lot of research and we found the Ascend H12, which is a sit in kayak. It's almost like a kayak canoe hybrid, where if you think of a kayak, a lot of them are sit on top. Um, and then you've got the sit in. So we've been using the Ascend H12 ever since. And I also, through a promotion, get, did get a hold of an Old Town Solo Sportsman 119. So I've hunted out 
out of that as well. So I've hunted out of about five different types from your smallest, lightest ones to your bigger, heavier ones. Because I did hunt out of my dad's Karsten's Pintail multiple times. So I kind of have an idea of, of what it's like to hunt out of that type of a layout boat. So that's kind of our history of layout hunting. We went through a time where that's all we did is we layout boat hunted. I mean, we went through years where it was like every hunt, we were finding ways to use our layout boat. Since then, I've been using it a lot less. Um, I've kind of gone to A-frames, and but I still use it. And I still from, just depends on the year and it depends on what I'm doing. But I might hunt in it two times in a year. I might hunt in it 10 times a year. It's, it's just a tool that I've got. I will say it's probably my favorite kind of hunting. I just really, really enjoy it. And I will talk a little bit later as to why it might be my favorite kind of hunting. I'll kind of go through it because it definitely provides you with a much, much different feel than something like an A-frame or, or sitting on a, a stool or, or what have you. It, it really is a different feel and it's really, really enjoyable. So before you get into layout boat hunting, you need to really think about how you are going to be using your layout boat. And by layout boat, it's either a traditional layout boat or a kayak layout boat or anything that you can lay down in and hunt. How are you going to be using that? Now, Josh from Outdoor Limits, who's a personal friend of mine, he uses his boat on bigger water. So he's got, I believe he's got two. He's got the Forerunner and I can't remember what the other one is. But these are big layout boats more like the Carson's pintail and he's got long tails on it and he's got a trailer that he can trailer both of them they're fantastic boats and the way Josh is using these layout boats he's got a video comparing the two the way Josh is using these these layout boats is perfect for how he wants to use them now for me I would like to have those boats in my arsenal but I'll never give up my H12 and I'll never give up my old town Sportsman 119, because a lot of the way that we use it involves dragging it, dragging these boats or putting them on deer carts. Um, we move up rivers and we get onto the land and we portage. If you're going to portage, you want a lighter boat. If you're not going to portage and you know, every single place that you want to hunt is you can just dump the boat right out of your vehicle into the water. Then some of those bigger ones like the Karstens or the um, Four Rivers are great, great choices. They're a lot bigger. They've got more support. They're more stable. But for us, a big part of our game has always been being mobile, being portable, which, like I said, involves strapping these things to deer carts, dragging them through the woods, dragging them over land. And, and so if I can only have one type, it's going to be the Ascend or the Solo Sportsman. Now, the reason I, I want both of those is the Solo Sportsman, the Old Town Solo Sportsman, is the lightest little boat I've ever had. And they label this as a kayak canoe hybrid. They label it as such. Um, and if I have a long, longer portage with it where I know I don't need a lot of equipment, I'm going to take that Solo Sportsman every time because it's just so light. The H12, I much prefer it because it's a little bigger, a little more stable. I can get more gear in it. Um, it's more comfortable to lay in. And so I love the H12. If I could only go with one, it would be the H12. That's an H12 for what we do. Now, Josh would not want this one. Josh has had boats like this similar. I know he had the old town Topwater, 
which is a little heavier than the H12, but you can still portage it. But for him, he wants that bigger one. He wants the long tail. He wants to be more mobile. He wants the, the blind on it, which that company sells those blinds. I think it's, gosh, I can't remember which company sells sell the slows. That he, I think uh, they got those layout, the blinds for his. And we'll talk more about blinds in a second. Um, now let's let's talk let's talk a little bit more pricing. Once once you pick out how you're going to be using your layout boat, then we can go from there. But let me run down some prices for you. Um, there goes my dog. Um, the new canoe is I've never used a new canoe, but I hear a lot of people talking about it. It's a smaller, lighter one, and that one comes in at about fifteen hundred dollars. And they do have blinds to go with those. The H12 is the best deal that I've ever seen. It comes in at $899. Its price is the lowest. And these things, the, the H12, um, I'm not positive of this, but I believe it's made with rotomolded plastic. They're tanks. I mean, you just don't get holes in them. The Old Town Topwater, the one that Josh used to use, about $1,200. The Old Town Sportsman, $1,200. And the Four River is $1,800. So you're talking... Really, and that's in the Four River, you know, if you're looking to put a long tail on, on your boat, which if you get one of those bigger ones, you really probably want a long tail on there. It's just so convenient. You're going to spend between eighteen and 3000 probably by the time you're done with everything from the boat to the blind to the long tail. And if you need a trailer, you're going to spend more. So that's the price your price, your direction that you can go. But those are kind of ideas of price range that you can get them. Now, if you're patient on Facebook marketplace, actually I've got, we've got two H12s. Fumbles just can't lay out hunt anymore. So we've got two H12s and we've got a old town sportsman 119. And I'm actually trying to sell one of my H12s for 750, which is a fantastic price because right now it's hard to get these H12s in there and heavy demand. And so I'm, I'm actually selling one for 750. But if you watch on, on, um, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, and you're patient, you can get some real good deals. You can probably find some for five, six hundred dollars, but you got to be patient. It may take you three or four months to do it, but it can. You can do it. You can find them that way. You can. Um, Golden Boy found one that was pretty cheap. He ended up selling it. So once you have your boat, the next thing you want, the next process, is preparing your hide and how you're going to be hiding when you're layout boat hunting. Um. There are several different options for you and your hide. Northern Flight sells um, a layout blind that specifically goes with the H12, but it'll go with all sorts of boats. Josh, back to Josh. Josh had one. He used, actually I tried to buy it from him because I need another one, but um, he he had one on his top water, which is a sit-on-top kayak, and so it worked fine. Any, any layout that's around 10 to 14, now eh, 14 is a little long. 12 or below that northern flight's going to work if you get up to 14 it's going to be you're going to probably have to add some material on it uh the new canoe that's the frontier new canoe they come with they have a layout blind available for it as well and i know that some of the other bigger um layout boats also have blinds available i think the forerunner does but um, you can find a you can find a, a blind system out there. Yak Gear, who I helped kind of design their last one, they've got one that's available. And then and the Yak Gear, if you've got a 14 foot, even almost up to 16 foot kayak, 
the Yak gear might be a good option for you. And they're continuing to redesign theirs and making better all the time. But I get questions all the time, people asking me, you know, where do you find the blind? What do you use for a blind? It's it's not they're they're a little bit scarce, I'll be honest. They're a little bit scarce. So the other idea is a self made blind. Like when my dad first started hunting with his buddy from Minnesota, they were just using grass mats. And so our first probably two, three years of trying to hide, we were using grass mats. We didn't have any type of blind system that attached to the boat itself. We would roll those grass mats up and put um, bungee cords around them and tie them really tight. And we would just have, we wouldn't have anything on the boat paddling in. And then when we got there, we would unwind those grass mats and lay them over us. Now there were several problems with this type of hide. Number one, those grass mats get wet and they get really, really heavy and they rot really easily. They're not that expensive, but they do rot. And when you're using that type of system, it's very, very difficult to pull a grass mat. Well, the way, the way that I always want to do it, this drove me nuts, is pull the grass mat up under my armpits so that I have my arms and my gun on top of the grass mat. So then basically from everything from your armpits to the top of your head is completely uncovered. And there's some times that that works, but with mallards, there's lots of times where it does not work. There are lots of times when they see you if you're if you're only covering down your armpits. So then you try to put your entire gun inside underneath your so pulling the grass mat up just under your chin, right? So now your arms and your shotgun are all underneath the grass mat. That is very difficult to come out of and and shoot out of because you've got to get that entire grass mat as you come up, you've got to get that entire grass mat down far enough that your arms and your hands can come up over the grass mat and shoot. And shooting in a layout is hard enough, let me tell you. Or I'm going to talk more about that in a second. The learning curve of shooting in a layout is really, really tough. And more than likely, the first shoot 50 times you pull the trigger, you're going to struggle. I know one year, um, and I had been layout hunting enough, I hunted enough, I should have I was deep in it enough. I shouldn't have had this problem, but I was six out of 36. I had 36 opportunities. And I only killed six ducks and man, it was, <laughs> I've got a YouTube video called uh, confessional where I'd been, I'd found myself on my videos. If you're not aware, I have YouTube videos, freelance duck hunting, but um, this was season number two is what it was. And I had found myself in the first few hunts with my editing kind of hiding a little bit how poorly I was shooting. And I realized at that time that that's not who I wanted to be. It's like, I don't want to be hiding things on my videos. I want to show people what happens in a real duck hunter's life with the goods and the bads and everything. And so I had a video I called the confessional where it was um, at the end of the hunt where I was six, I had become six for 36. And so I had a confessional moment where I came clean about my gross, awful shooting slump uh, and well, one of the reason was layout boat, but another one was the mats we were using. Now, from that time, we had actually moved past the grass mats. We had decided that we wanted something a little different colored. And so we got some green garden fencing and we got some raffia grass. At that time, I wasn't using Joseph Stern, um, which is by far a superior product just because it's a little cheaper and the company is just phenomenal. Um, and I... I did work with them this year, but I'm, I'm very, very, very pleased with their product and their customer service and everything. But we had gotten the green garden fencing and raffia, and we made these raffia blankets, essentially. Um, we thought they would be lighter, which they were. We thought that they would hold up longer, which they did, because those grass mats have that rot problem if you don't get them fully dried out. 
And so we started using that. We did the same thing. We would roll them up in these tight bundles, zip tie them and tie them. So they were just these long cylindrical things. They would go in the layout boat. And then when we got on site, we would open those all up and use these raffia, homemade raffia mats. And they did work better, but we st I still had the exact same problem with either it's going to go under your armpits or up to your chin. Both of those create massive problems. And not only that, raffia, after a while, loses its 3D dimensions. After you get three-fourths the way into the season and you've used those a lot, the fluffiness of it just goes away. And, the, and it, you, you're left with a product that still doesn't look right when the ducks are looking at it. And so we had, in fact, it was right around the time of the confessional hunt that I kind of, we came to this conclusion that those homemade raffia by itself is not enough um, in the way that we were using it. And I would, I would actually, I need to have a conversation with Josh about this because I know he uses almost all raffia and maybe it's the fact that we were rolling them up in a cylindrical way that made them so flat over time because I see his and I'm not sure it looks a little better than what mine used to look like. So I need to, maybe I can get him on here for a segment just to ask, ask him that question about Rafia. Cause um, anyway, I, I came to the conclusion Rafia doesn't cut it is not enough. And so from that point on, I decided to go Rafia and everything we do. Rafia is a base layer. And then on site, you do a lot of brushing on site every time that I go out. So that because it takes a little work, 30 to 30 to 45 minutes in the morning, but what's happening? You got that raffia base. And the reason I want that raffia base on anything I'm using is that I don't have to brush brush as much. It cuts down the brush time in the morning, but then I'm going to get vegetation from the site. That's going to fill it out. That's still going to look fresh. It's going to look like the surrounding environment. And it, that really, really does help with with your dog, I mean, sorry, with your um, brushing. Um, so at that point though, with the garden fencing, um, that's right at the time that we transitioned to the H12. Um, we That was when we're like, these layouts aren't working, it's too big for my dad. And we went to the H12s and they just so happened to sell that Northern Flight Blind, which has brush straps. And so it became much, much easier to brush on site. And that's when we switched over to the raffia base. And then on site, you just keep it up. I remember um, because we just, we, you could just tell they were seeing us. I could just tell they were seeing us too much. The mouths were seeing us too much. And I think it was either the next year um, we were on an afternoon hunt. And the only thing that was around was pintails. And it was my dad, Aiden. Danny boy and myself, and we all had layout boats and we spent so much time brushing on site that, and we didn't have much other, um, around much other cover around us, which is something you really need to have. And the four of us landed like a group of 15 or something. I think we killed each killed one out of it, which that was pretty much our limit or maybe we killed two. Anyway, that was the moment I was like, we got this figured out. We got this figure out. You've got to brush and brush and brush and brush and brush and brush and brush. And none of your arms can be showing. You, your arms cannot be showing. You've got to get, I mean, you want as much of your face and your skin and everything hidden as you can possibly get. We had four guys in a prairie marsh without much cover around. 
and with hardly any wind, and we finished a group of pintails. And that was finally, I was like, okay, finally, I feel like we got this thing mastered because this is what it takes. And so that's where we've been to this day. That's where we've been to this day. Base level layer of raffia. Make sure you're in a place to fill in on site. On site. Now, one one mistake that I made, and I see a lot of other people making it as well. Generally speaking, now if this has worked for you, I'm not saying never. Generally speaking, layouts just on water, even really properly brushed, are not enough to fool mallards. You need them to be in cover. And not just, I mean, really, ideally, what you want is cover that's going to go up to the height of the boat, at least, if not a little bit higher. Because when you're just out by yourself and there's hardly any cover at all, if you're by yourself, it might work. Because I had one hunt this year where it did and I shot my limit. But then I brought Cole and his buddy in the same day and we couldn't get it done in the same spot with three because with the layout, you need that surrounding brush and cover. You need to be in cover, not isolated by yourself. If you're isolated by yourself, there's going to be lots and lots of times when it just doesn't work. It's just not enough. So you're really looking for, keep that, keep that in mind. I'm, uh, speed up that learning curve. Because if you think you can go out there and just on a lake or, or whatever and lay out in the, in the bare open in your layout boat, Lots of times for you, that's just not going to work. They just see you. Um, I get lots of questions about my H-12 specifically about how does it paddle. And with that Northern Flight Blind, it's a really good system because it rolls up and you can clip it when you're paddling. And I've never had an issue with the paddle. It paddles great. Some of these bigger ones, so the Sportsman, the Topwater, I've seen Josh paddle, um, the Karstens, um, the old town. I don't know about those bigger ones, like the like the ones Joss has now. I would say those would probably be rough to paddle. You want a, a long tail kit on those. But the ones the H twelve and all the ones I've tried, they paddle great. Even with a blind on there, they paddle just fine. Another problem that you've got to solve with a layout boat is how to hide a dog. And there's not hardly anything out there that's going to help you. I did see a Four Rivers one that's not good. It's it's better than nothing, but it's barely better than just having your dog sitting behind you. You always want your dog behind you, obviously, which I was an idiot and didn't it took me a little while to figure that out. But this this one from Four Rivers, it's it's just not good. It's better than nothing, but it's just not good. So I've never seen a really good quality one. I've actually was started a while ago to work on making one that I thought I could reproduce and sell. But Fumbles has made made for us, and we took conduit, bent the conduit, attached some material to it, and, and there's actually a video way back, like from season one, on how we made the dog hide. We used Bimini fittings. I'm not going to go into a full tutorial. Maybe it's something I should revisit on my channel. But we used Bimini fittings, bent conduit, zip ties, and... Um, material that we cut off from our northern flat blind and I think I used a yak gear one on it and we made our own I, I fully believe with the dogs now I will before I make this statement I will say when I got Georgie I got a banded dog stand that did not have a dog hide on it and I did not want to pay for one with a hide on it 
those Momarsh ones. I didn't want to pay for it. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to try this stand and see how much it, how much it flares ducks. And I was really surprised at how well I was able to work ducks without a dog hide. And I think blacks, black labs are better than yellows. Um, because they look more like, especially on a sunny day, they look more like a shadow. And I think chocolates are better than yellows because sometimes they blend into those colors with, with, um, their natural colors. But that dog stand actually, actually worked really, really well. But ultimately with these dog hides and the way that fumbles built ours, I want her head completely under it. I don't want any part of her head out of there. And so if you can get that dog behind you over your shoulder, where I've got raffia grass coming down from the front of the conduit where it's going to hide her completely. That's the way to do it. That's, that's what you want. That's what you want. But if you just can't make your own, the second the secondary way, best way to do it is to get a Momarsh dog stand in with you. And I have done that before where either you're pulling a sled or Though I mean, I've done it where it just kind of sits on top of all my gear, and it, it was a little bit awkward, but I got it in. And ultimately, if you can get a Momarsh dog stand in with you where that dog is sitting beside you, not behind you, that is going to be the way to go. It's so much better because you don't have the dog. When your dog comes back from the retrieve, you got to get him in the boat. She brings him water. They've got to go. I mean, it depends on if you get out or not. If you Without getting out, they come up over you. They they walk on you they stomp you as they're leaving i mean it's 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 just a the mo marsh dog stand is is definitely the way to go if you can get that in there with you but it does add extra things to bring so if if i'm portaging i'm not going to do that i'm not bringing in a dog stand if i'm not portaging i probably will bring in a dog stand and i'm going to bring a big sled and i'm going to put the dog stand in the sled so without a, without dragging a sled behind your your kayak on my H12, I can typically get in one to two dozen decoys, uh, marsh stool in case I need it. I'll normally bring in my backpack, my camera gear, my shotgun, uh, and that's about all that I can carry. And I can get those in there and paddle it. It's full, but I can paddle it, especially two dozen. It's really more that dozen and a half is the best way, but I can get that in there. But if I'm not portaging, then I'm always going to have that big sled behind me clip it to the back of the boat. You don't even feel it. And if you do that, you can get a ton of gear in, including your dog stand, including your dog stand. So what is it like to lay out hunt? For me, it is my favorite way to experience a hunt because there's just something about laying down in a marsh where you're just at eye level, basically just a couple feet off the ground that immerses you in, in the environment and the experience. The, the feel of it is fantastic. And I, I will say by yourself, with this setup by yourself, the mallards just will not see you. They just will not see you. You absolutely disappear. It is by far by yourself in a layout boat with a good hide with the, with the recipe that I've described with the raffia underneath the native grass of the area as moist soil vegetation on top of it. They absolutely have no idea that you're there, but even with two people, Three people, it can st it can still get done. Every time you add a person, it's a little bit harder. But the feel of just laying on your back, especially having your dog behind you, continually they kind of lay their little head on your shoulder, 
and it is just a spectacularly fun way to hunt. Um, there's a special connection to the marsh that you kind of melt into it and become part of it that you just don't get out of like an A-frame, a boat blind. Um, you just don't get it. And it's comfortable. I use the HTR layout lounge as an insert into the blind because I find that to be much more comfortable and you can kind of rotate it up and down. It's just a great, it's just a wonderfully comfortable way to hunt. Now the shooting I talked about earlier, the issue with the shooting is a couple things. The timing, if you think about, let's just say sitting in a frame, sitting on a stool where you're going to stand up and pull the trigger, it's much, much easier just to go from a sitting to a standing position. And once you're in a standing position, this is the type of shooting that you are extremely used to. You've done it through clays. You've done it through practice. Everyone, that favorite way to shoot the shotgun is standing up. The top of your torso is are is angled over your lower your lower body from your waist down a little bit. You got one foot forward, one foot back. Most weights on that front that front foot, and it's just that's how we know how to do it. That's what feels comfortable, and everyone is 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 secure with the timing in that type of shot. But when you're laying on your back in a layout boat, now you're doing a sit up. You're doing a sit up, and depending on how flexible you are, generally speaking, when you pull the trigger doing a sit up. You, your upper body struggles to get as far forward as what you'd be comfortable with. And again, depending on how flexible you are. So you're almost, it's almost like if you stand up, pull up your shotgun, lean back so that from your waist to your head, your head is farther back than your waist is, your belt is. Think about shooting like that. That's kind of what it becomes like. Because as you sit up, you just can't get that same you know, if you have your front foot forward and you're over that foot, you just can't get that same feel to it. And so now your flexibility is a little bit less, swinging's a little bit harder, and it takes you longer to get into that position. So the timing of when you call the shot is different. You have to get accustomed to when to start that sit-up, and it's a little tiny bit earlier than what you would normally do. So what I see happening in my own experience and other people that I've watched is they call the shot a little too late. And so by the time they're up, they're flailing to get up. The birds see them. And by the time they're pulling the trigger, it's not an ideal shot. And that's that's the big problem. Not not to mention, even, even with the Northern Flight or the Yak Gear blinds where there are doors, which I didn't mention that, is those those blinds you buy have doors. And so all you have to do is when you do a sit-up, those doors are just gone. They're off of you. So everything about coming up out of that sitting position, doing a sit-up, getting it on the bird, getting the timing is just way more difficult. It's just so much harder. But you can get used to it. I'm to the point now where I've gotten a lot better. But here's here's the turning point for me. This happened pretty soon after the confessional hunt where I admitted how poorly I had been shooting six for 36. Um. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about shooting. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. I was actually on it shortly thereafter and talked to them about it. Where I got into my garage with my layout boat and I practiced going from laying down to sitting up and shooting. And I picked various spots in the garage to point at. And I did that several sessions about 50 times each. And that seemed to just take care of it. So if you're going to go to the layout boat hunting mode... I would suggest practicing that. I even practiced shooting some 
plays out of the layout also. Get in a position where you're laying, have them throw a clay out there, and practice it. It's something that needs to be practiced. Now, if you're a dog guy, and this is a problem I had with Georgie this year, you need to practice it with your dog too. And Georgie was having problems. Um, she couldn't quite see out of the layout hide, so I would get up to shoot, and she'd just jump out of the boat. I hadn't practiced it enough. I practiced it a little more with her. She got it down, and she was doing much, much better. But both those things, the shooting, the dog, all of it takes time and takes practice. So let me check my notes. I think that I hit everything on here that I wanted to talk about. I'm sure there's more that I missed. If there's a good tip that I missed, message me either on Facebook, Patreon, Instagram. And if I miss something that you want to add to it, I'll add to it. I might even use it as the comment of the week next time I record. So that's all I've got for you guys today. I hope this was informative. I hope that was interesting. If there's other topics or to that you want me to talk about on this podcast, let me know because I'm looking for good content, good ideas. But I hope it helped you guys out. I hope that it's something you decide to do because it's a really, really fun way to waterfowl. Until next time, this is the North American Waterfowler Podcast.